Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church. It's an honor to have you. Hey, listen, if you're a first-time guest with us or you've been tuning in online uh, for a while now, we would love to connect with you uh, maybe in person or get you connected to a city group. You can text in the word new to the number on the screen. We would love to help you get connected in community. Maybe we could see you in person at one of our Sunday evening gatherings. There's lots of options for you. Just want to let you know would love to meet you soon. Hey, we've been in a new series called You're Not Far, and it's been really encouraging to me. I hope it's been helpful to you. Today, specifically, we're looking at the idea of, of um, how we create loopholes around loving other people. So let me just give you a few examples. The holidays are coming up, and so I thought this one might be uh, funny and practical, but have you ever had to go see that obscure relative for you know, a holiday celebration or meal, or maybe you got invited to an awkward party, you know, work or friends or whatever, and so because you know you're going and you don't really want to stay very long, you intentionally like plan something quickly after or maybe like right in the middle of it so that you have an excuse to leave early, but you don't have to lie about it or feel bad for why you're leaving. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, and uh, I just gave you an idea, I'm sorry about that, but uh, you know, just like this loophole of getting out of loving other people or, or maybe here's a different one. Maybe you were in a disagreement or an argument and you like really, you know, got heated and said some things that, and, and laid into someone that, you know, as you're reflecting on it and looking back, you, you might have said something like, oh, man, like I probably said some things I shouldn't have said. I probably uh, um, talked in a way that wasn't very helpful, but, but you know, it, it just seems like that's the only way that I can get through to them. Right? And we justify being unloving um, based on what we interpret as a need for communication. Or, or, or maybe uh, you know, you've been able to justify slamming or sl- slandering someone you know, kind of behind their back or to a group of people. Or, or maybe for you it's online, you're able to kind of just say some really hateful or ugly or unloving things. And for you, you're able to justify it by saying it falls into the category of truth. Well, I'm, just not, I'm not saying anything false. And so I, I, I think it's helpful, and you, you know, you're the truth police. Well, I, I don't know where it is. Hopefully those are just little helpful things. But if you think about it, really, no matter where you are on the, on the faith spectrum or on your spiritual journey, um, you and I are really good at creating loopholes when it comes to justifying our behavior if, if we've been unloving. Right? The goal is to get the guilt off of ourselves so that, so that we feel a little better if we did something or said something that was unloving. And Jesus uniquely addresses one of the core issues of his beef with religion, and, is, and, and that's when we create loopholes around loving other people. And so we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 7 today, and you can look on the screen, it'll be here. And as we get into this, just a reminder, this is one of uh, Jesus' closest followers recounting his eyewitness experiences and accounts with Jesus right before he's about to give his life for his faith. And so he's kind of recounting just the, the story of Jesus and all the things that are, hap- that are happening. And so here in Mark 7, we're going to pick it up, and it says that now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Now remember, over the last couple of weeks, Jesus is becoming a really big deal. 
getting a lot of attention, kind of up in the northern area of Galilee. And now he's such a big deal that there's some guys down in Jerusalem, kind of the big wigs of religion and Judaism. They sent some scribes up to Galilee, which is about a three-day journey, to go check out what's going on with Jesus. And so, again, for Peter, who's, who's writing this for us, or rather telling the story, he, he, he has to think in this moment, like, this is a big deal, right? The movement's kind of growing, and some awesome things are happening. And if you want to make it, I, I mean, the, the, the way to really become big is to get in with the guys in Jerusalem. So this is probably a pretty exciting scenario uh, when they send some scouts out to check out what's going on. And they see these, these religious guys, they see some of Jesus' disciples eating with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of COVID-19, I, I mean, of the elders, right? Like, uh, uh, check out that statement, okay? The traditions of the elders is going to be really important in a second. Going on, uh, Mark tells us that uh, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, hey, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? These are things that had been added in order to follow God, right? So God had his commands, but then traditions came in. These are just additional things um, that God never told them to, to observe or add, but that had been added through the course of religion. He says, why aren't they following the tradition of the elders, but rather eating with undefiled hands? And then Jesus responds, check this out. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, right? I think this is a moment where Peter would have like face palmed for sure, right? This is an op opportunity. Scouts were in town. This is the way to make it into Jerusalem. And now as a result of Jesus' behavior, they're going to make it into Jerusalem, but on much different standards, okay? So this is a moment where Jesus calls them out. And, you, and this is already a dig, like the hypocrite word seems pretty heavy, but you and I have to understand that not only that, Jesus is citing the, the Jewish scriptures to call them out on, on something that they're doing that's not in alignment with the Jewish scripture. So he's using their text against them. And he says, hey, Isaiah talked about you guys. <laughs> this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, or, or what a waste of time, the way that they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, these religious leaders... Uh, Jesus was pretty upset with them because they were guilty of elevating their traditions over God's commands. And the reason that's so important is because their traditions uh, allowed loopholes for not being loving over God's commands, specifically to the point that right after this, we don't have time to go into it, but right after this, we're going to see Jesus call them out because they had found a way to allow people to justify not taking care of their aging parents by, by dedicating their money or pledging their money to the temple. So the Pharisees would say, hey, listen, you know, you pledge your money to the temple, and then, you know, if your parents, you know, they, they need something, you say, oh, mom, dad, I'm so sorry, like, you know, my, my money's God's, so I just can't help you, right? And it sounds good on the outside that you're so awesome to pledge your money to the temple, and the reality, uh, it's a crooked way to avoid having to take care of your parents. And so Jesus is just ripping into them and calling them out. I need, I need you to understand, as we talk about religion and what Jesus came to do, uh, I need to have you hear the definitions so you understand. Religion is about what I do to get to God, right? It's about beliefs, behaviors, rules, regulations, traditions. It's about the things that I'm doing to get to God or to make myself right with God. Well, Jesus says, hey, religion's not going to work. And so Jesus is bringing God to me and God to you. And Jesus said, hey, because you and I are never going to be good enough, we're never going to behave enough or believe enough to be right with God, Jesus comes all the way to us 
to make us right with God. And here's the problem with religion. Religion leaves us believing that there is this ritual. There's a set of beliefs that that make me right with God. And here's the kicker. While removing my responsibility to make things right with others. Or let me give you just a practical example. Religion today could leave me feeling more guilty about missing church, the activity, you see it, what I do, than mistreating someone at work. You see the challenge and the hypocrisy in this? So here's also what religion tends to do. Religion allows me to kind of get in this idea and this framework um, that for, for my relationship with God, I'm, I'm banking on the idea that God has short-term memory loss, that if I confess it, God forgets it. Right? That's the, that's the, the idea is that, man, I, I can make myself right with God, and then I don't have to worry about it. The problem is there's a huge difference between forgiveness and forgetfulness, okay? And so today we're going we're gonna to get into, I think, what Jesus calls us into, which is much better, much, just a, a better way. And, and we've looked at it a couple, a couple times. Mark chapter 1, Jesus says over and over again, hey, I, I'm, I'm proclaiming the good news, which we talked about. Man, if, if you come up against any invitation from Jesus or the Christian faith that sounded like less than good news, right? Uh, Peter was emphatically convinced that it was good news. I'm, I'm convinced it's good news. And it's possible that if, if it's been anything but good news to you, that you might have come up against the wrong version. Jesus says, hey, this is good news. The time has come, meaning that the time is at hand. The world has been waiting for this, that the kingdom of God has come near, meaning the king has come near. And what that means for you and me is that if the king is near, that we can't be far. And Jesus invites us into this amazing paradigm-shifting worldview, and that is to repent and believe this good news. Repent means to change the way that I think, to turn in that direction, to face and embrace the invitation of Jesus to adopt a new worldview, to, to think like Jesus thinks, to see God and people the way that he sees them, and then to believe that good news. And, and what's amazing about this invitation is that this is from a new king, who's introducing a new kingdom. And in that new kingdom is a new law. This is all that Jesus is doing. And this new law was summed up in one rule, to love God and people. And Jesus would say that the two are one, to love God and people. He says, if you and I can get that right, then we don't have to worry about anything else. And later, there'd be a guy who comes along named Paul, who would be one of the most unlikely followers of Jesus, uh, guys, to ever become a follower of Jesus. Um, And what's amazing is not only does he become a follower of Jesus, he ends up writing over a third of our New Testament that we have today, and later he would refer to to this new law as the law of Christ. This new law is the law of Christ. And in Galatians 6, 2, he uses this phrase, and I want you to see it so so you can understand. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This new king and this new kingdom and this new way of loving and living, not written on paper, not written on tablets, but written on the heart, he says it's, it's expressed, it's extended, it's fulfilled when you and I bear one another's burdens. So pause for a second. Remember, we opened this talking about loophole religion, right? We talked about loopholes around loving people. So I want you to check it out for a second. This word bear can be defined in this way, to endure something unpleasant or difficult, to bear one another's burdens, to endure something unpleasant or difficult. Let me ask you a question. Why is it <laughs> that we look for loopholes? 
Why don't we just do the loving thing? Why, don't, why do we try to justify our unloving behavior and, and, and work, work around all of these little pieces? What is it about that? It's because it's unpleasant and difficult <laughs> to love people. It's sacrificial. It takes from us. It's heavy and it's hard. And you know the problem about bearing one another's burdens? Is your burden probably doesn't look like mine. And so I have a hard time understanding your burden. And sometimes what I'd like to do is come in and like fix your burden or tell you why your burden doesn't matter or, or replace your burden or, or just tell you to stop, stop worrying about it, right? But this instruction, if we're going to love like Jesus loved, it's, it's not that I get to choose your burden or I get to change your burden or that I even have to understand your burden. What's my job? To bear it with you. And this word literally leans into the, the language of, of an image of two cattle taking a yoke and bearing a load and carrying it together. That no matter what you're, you're going through, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up beside you and get up underneath that weight with you. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to love it. I don't have to agree with you, but I'm going to bear it with you. Does that make sense? This is the instruction that we're receiving from Paul as he kind of fleshes out the invitation that Jesus has already given us. And so... I want you to think about it for a second. Let me just give you a practical example. Um, a little over a week from today, um, th there's going to be the opportunity for all of us, you and I, no matter where you are, uh, we're going to be embracing the results of the 2020 election. And um, there's a lot of people who are freaking out <laughs> on both sides of the equation, that, that there's fear and, and there's, there's uh, struggle around what's coming in a, in a week and a half. And right, you don't, you're not blind to it. You see it all the time. There's division in a lot of places in our nation. There's disagreement in a lot of places. Right now, politics is a really big one. That's not the only one. And one of the challenges that you and I consistently see is, is that with that division, um, we, we would like to see in the church across the nation that, that, that the division is not there. But the problem is we see division in and outside of the church, don't we? And maybe the bigger problem is people who are not followers of Jesus see division in and outside of the church, and it's a challenge. And the reason there's division is because there's fear. And nothing divides like politics, right? Just think about it for a second. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. And there's fear specifically around loss. That as people are facing this election, there is uh, the potential for loss on both sides. That, that something is going to be taken away from me depending on who wins this election. That's where the fear comes from. Can I, can I give it to you in another scenario? Another picture? There's a burden on both sides. There's a fear of loss on both sides. And, and let me just share this with you. Listen, your political candidate is going to win or lose in, in a little over a week and a half. Um, and, and there will be winners and losers, right? Both in and outside of the church. Uh, and let me just say this as well. Um, first of all, this is not by any means a, uh, a conversation about me persuading you one way or the other for a political view, but also, just remember, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over, right? He's this new king with a new kingdom, and so I think sometimes we try to fit Jesus into our political and social boxes, and, and, he, and he won't fit very well, um, even though we try. And so, here's what I need you to understand, is that uh, there's going to be uh, winners and losers on both sides of this conversation uh, in a little over a week, but here's maybe the bigger urgency for you and I that we should give weight to, and it's this, that the church wins or loses based on how we treat each other and, and how we love our world before and after the election. 
Let that sink in. 2020 is going to be a footnote in history. But the church is going to win or lose based on how we treat one another and love our world before and after the election. And you and I are very familiar with, with, with less than loving behavior in these arenas. Now, to be fair, that's just one arena. I'm just using it as an example of disagreement. You probably have many areas of disagreement, right? You might have areas of disagreement around politics or social issues. You might have disagreement in your marriage. You might have disagreement with your kids or with a boss or with a friend or with a neighbor. You can have disagreement in a lot of areas. And the question is, what does it look like? What's the invitation to bear one another's burdens? To get up under it even if I don't agree. To be there for you and to love you and to serve you. And I'm going to give you what I think is a better way. The the way that Jesus is inviting us into. This way forward, if you will, is, is not complicated, but it does remove the loopholes. And the first, it starts with listening. If you want to grow in your disagreement, if you want to be able to disagree and still unconditionally love someone, <laughs> then you have to be able to listen. And especially when it comes to people who don't experience the world the same way that you do. There, there's a, a law in psychology um, called Miles Law And uh, I'll give it to you here. It says this, basically, where you stand or what you stand for or the things that you stand up for, okay, your viewpoints, the things that, that matter to you, where you stand depends on where you sit. And what this means is that when it comes to disagreement, whether it's inside your home or at work or, or on, on the level of politics, it doesn't matter. When it comes to disagreement, a lot of it is fueled by what's around you. That's why a lot of people who, who share your same beliefs also share your same circle of influence and environments. And, and so we have to learn to listen. And this, this takes a, a huge uh, level of maturity, right? I just wanted to help you understand. Like, when it comes to loving people, it's not easy. That's why we need Jesus, but it takes a huge level of maturity to understand that someone else's viewpoint might be that way because, because I'm not in their shoes. And so it equally requires me not just to listen, but to learn. That I have, the, I have to have the disposition to learn, right? And this is so important. This is, this is not um, learning in the sense of, of being a critic so that I can respond and, and, and then be able to rebuttal your viewpoint, your disagreement, right? One of the ways forward is I have to not just listen, but but learn. And this means that I've got to be a student, a student, right? Because if I'm a critic, if I'm a critic and, I'm, and I disagree with you, um, if it's with my wife, Danielle, or, or if it's with one of my neighbors, or it's a conflict with a friend or a boss, it doesn't matter. If I disagree with you and I'm a, I'm, I'm a critic, what that means is that everything that you say, I'm going to discount. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to put it away because it doesn't fit into my current flawed worldview. I'm going to dismiss it and tell you why your burden or why your viewpoint doesn't matter or it's not valid, right? But when I'm humble enough to realize that you're not crazy, that maybe the reason you have a different viewpoint, maybe the reason you have a different stance is because you sit in a different place, right? If, if, you've, ever, if you've ever had a moment where you're in an argument, you're in a disagreement, and, and, and uh, it, you say something like this, I just don't understand how anyone could feel that way. I just don't understand how, why you can't get over that. I just don't understand how you could possibly vote for that. I just don't understand how you possibly can't vote against it. I just don't understand how anyone, you ever had any statements like that? You ever had any thoughts like that? I want, I want to help you with something. 
If you've ever had a disposition like that, I just don't understand how anyone could possibly, you are acknowledging something, whether internally or out loud, and it's this. You're admitting that the gap is with you and not with them. You don't understand. And what that means is that you have an opportunity to learn. And if you and I will love people enough to take time to understand, then there's an opportunity for us to realize and remember that, that on the other side of a conversation, someone's behavior, someone's view, someone's response, it made perfect sense to them just like yours made perfect sense to you. Because we stand oftentimes where we sit. So listening and learning, man, I mean, they go hand in hand, but, but lastly, and you know this, but, but man, we got to move forward in love. And this is not hippy-dippy, feel-good, you know, love. This is, this is sacrificial, stick it out, be with you even though I disagree kind of love. And, and let me just encourage you to never burn a relationship over disagreement. Don't, don't, don't burn a relationship over disagreement, and this happens all the time. Right? And you might be on the other side of this, I and mean, because it's painful and because it's hard, because it's uncomfortable, you might say, man, well, well they started the fire. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's not on you. But you don't have to start one on your side of the bridge. Does that make sense? Right? D- don't burn the relationship. And here's why this is so important. It's because the person beside you is more precious to God than your potentially flawed view. And so I think Jesus would look at some of our disagreements and some of our preferences, and he said, you know what, you're, you're welcome to your preferences, but don't you dare mistreat someone made in my image. That is the law of Christ. That is the law of love. And so as you and I reflect on this, I, w- I want you to really get this. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and as he comes, I, I really want you to, to wrestle with this reality. And I don't know where you are as a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're you know, kind of dancing around and trying to figure out where you land when it comes to your spiritual journey. I just want you to hear me when I say this, that, that when you and I are disagreeing with someone else, when I'm disagreeing with this person, or, or you're disagreeing with the other person, and we're having these burning bridge battles, right? Like, like while, while both of us are disagreeing, And John would say, one of Jesus' closest followers, while both of us were still sinners, Jesus died for both of us. Jesus didn't qualify his sacrifice to make us right with God. And that, friends, is what tells us how and who we're supposed to love. And so let let me share it with you, okay? Whether you're looking for loopholes in, in loving people of a different political view or you're looking for loopholes uh, in loving your spouse or, or loving your kids or loving you know, your boss or your friends or your family or right wherever you find yourself leaning in and looking for loopholes so you don't have to lean into loving. Can I just invite you to be done with, with that ridiculous nonsense of loophole religion? This hypocrisy to be done with, with what makes us look absolutely, I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, what makes us look ridiculous to those outside of the faith is this hypocritical loophole religion of doing my best not to have to love people who aren't like me. But you and I have been invited, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been invited to be a part of a kingdom of conscience, a kingdom of the heart with one law 
And that is to love others like God loves us and like God loves you and like God loves me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand the invitation is first to respond to God's love for you. That you can't get to God so he came all the way to you through Jesus. He'd make the ultimate sacrifice for you even though you didn't, dis- didn't agree. And he'd make a way for you to have a relationship with him to make you new and to fill you with his love. And friends, there are no loopholes to this kind of love. And so you got to ask the question, what does love require of me? Not what can I get away with? Not how, how much do I have to? Not how often do I have to go to church? Not a list of rules and regulations, but what does love require of me? And, and here's the deal, listen. When we fall short, because we will, let's, let's not make excuses. Let's learn to make apologies. And bear one another's burdens. And fulfill the law of Christ. Let me give you some action steps as we close out, okay? Number one, who could you listen to (laughs) that doesn't think like you this week? I'm not talking about a newscast. I'm, I'm not talking about biased media. I'm talking about looking eye to eye with someone that you disagree with and listening to them, asking good questions and leaving your critic in the closet, leaving him at home and loving the person in front of you. How will you be a student, not a critic? How, do you be a, how can you be a student of those different from you this week? Before and after the election. And where does love require you to make a relationship right? What does love require of you this week? Friends, you and I have the opportunity to make the love of God known in incredible ways before and after the election. Let's not miss it. Let's take this opportunity to love like Jesus loved us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus for the first time. You can text in. We'd love to follow up with you. We'll catch you next time.